So today, I want to share, I want to like just spend some time in a passage that's probably pretty familiar to most of us. I want to tell you guys a little bit about my recent favorite Netflix find. And I want to just talk about a way that we can move forward because that is Jesus's gift to us. We, we move forward. We don't, we do not pray away what is happening. We don't pretend it didn't happen. We don't ignore it. We push in to the goodness of God with it. So I'm going to read our teaching text this morning uh, it's from Jeremiah 29, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. It'll be up on the screen. Jeremiah 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God, we come to you in our own version of exile, in our grief, our pain, our frustration. We, Lord, with our brothers and sisters who are celebrating, we come with, with them with joy. God, we just, the whole of it, all of it, we bring it to you and we leave it at your feet and ask you to hold it for us because you promise that you, you bear our burdens with us. You promise that you do more than we can do with what we bring you. And God, um, we just ask that this morning you would show up in a way that is essential for where we are, for each of us individually, that we would experience what you have to say, the promises you have, the goodness you have, that in this room this morning, we would be met and held and refreshed because that is who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, my favorite recent Netflix find, although I have a confession, uh, like a caveat, It's actually not on Netflix anymore. So I discovered this this week when I was preparing for this. It is, however, on Discovery Plus, and they have a seven-day free trial. So go and do that when you get home today. But uh, are there any, like, British baking show fans? A few? Okay. It's not that. That's a good show. But I found a bet. It's not better. It's just similar. Has anyone seen The Repair Shop? Oh, yeah. Someone is very excited over there. It's so good, right? Okay. The Repair Shop is like Great British Baking Show meets Antiques Roadshow meets like, I don't know, the best, most wholesome, beautiful, wonderful things on television. This is The Repair Shop. Um, that's Jay Blades on the end with the hat, and it's, he's like the man in charge. And The Repair Shop is this um, 
like barn that is a restoration shop in the middle of a giant green field in England, because apparently all good things are in the middle of giant green fields in England. And the premise of the repair shop is that every episode people come to the barn and they have like giant old family radios or hundred year old teddy bears or like beautiful big stained glass windows or whatever that is. Those organs, I don't know. They come in with this stuff and it's broken and old and um, it's like always the same thing, right? They walk into the shop and they put their item down and they tell the restorer and Jay, a bus, uh, uh, these things, and they tell the story about like how meaningful this thing is and like my great-great-grandmother won this and it's like been a family heirloom forever and we love it so much and they explain, there's usually tears, like how meaningful it is. And the restorer listens and asks some questions. And then um, the person leaves. And over the episode, we as the audience get to watch these master restorers do this incredible work. I did not know that there are people whose expertise were like restoring 100-year-old teddy bears. Like that is a job you can have where you really, like you are an expert in it. And we get to watch them take this teddy bear and like stitch very carefully because it's a hundred years old and it survived a house fire. So like you have to be very careful and you pull out every tiny stitch and then they lay out all the pieces and they have to go find the matching fur to like pad in all the bald spots that the fire took. And then they have to like lay all the fur in the same direction so that it's like when you pet it, it feels consistent. And then they have to go find the matching button of the eye because you can't have two wonky eyes, like that would be weird. So they go on the hunt for the button and they find the button and they have to like very delicately sew it back together and then find new stuffing because this stuffing is weird and smells like fire and like just the detail and time and frankly like the monotonous process of restoring this teddy bear and at the end of the episode the person comes back and there's like this big like covered lump on the counter and there's they're always very nervous they're like what if I don't recognize my teddy bear like what if it's not the same and they talk to the restorer and they're like okay you ready and the person's like yeah and they pull the blanket off and it's always the same they're like oh and they cry and they like hold it and they're just like telling, like, I feel like my grandmother's with me because I'm holding the tent. Like it's just all of this emotion and it's just like the most wonderful thing. And I, I, like the reason I think that we love stuff like this, this like process of bringing new life to things that we thought were gone. It's why we love like giant epics and it's why we love underdog stories because we all love, frankly, we're all wired to believe and cling to this hope that just because things look like it's over, they're not. We don't want to believe that this is the end because we want better. We believe, we're wired to believe that this is not the way it's meant to be. And that is a good thing. And I think that that is some of what we feel happening when we read that text from Jeremiah. Now, when I read that text, um, I would imagine that most of us recognize that middle part, verse 29. We all love Jeremiah 29, sorry, verse 11, chapter 29. We all love Jeremiah 29, 11. This is like probably the best branded Bible verse in the Bible. Everyone knows Jeremiah 29, 11. It has its own merch. Like, you can have this verse, every, your refrigerator, that's a t-shirt in the bottom corner, a keychain, a mug, a sticker, a ring. Like, they even got up on Levi's stuff. Like, you can, you can put this thing everywhere. We love the sound of Jeremiah 29, 11. I have plans for you to prosper you and to grow you, to give you hope. Like, this is the best. I have a hope and a future, which you do. And that's great. But did you notice how much not great stuff that verse was couched in? 
The reality of this passage is not everything's great, like God has a plan for you. The reality of Jeremiah 29 is quite dark. If you look just at that first verse, it says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and the priests and everyone else that got into exile. This is a letter to people captured taken away from home. It is a letter from home, from Jerusalem, sent to Babylon, to the surviving elders, which tells us there are those who didn't. The tone of this passage is not, God is so great. The tone of this passage is, everything is bad. We have been captured, not all of us made it, and a letter from home has arrived. And I can see the expectation of the leaders gathering around this letter. Is anyone like, camp kids, like when you got mail call and you were really homesick and you got a letter from home and this was like, finally, maybe my parents are coming to get me. Like that kind of hope rises up in you. It's that level of like, this is going to be it. Like we've been waiting. Think about the history the people of Israel have with God, where when they are slaves, he delivers them, where when things are bad, he intervenes on their behalf. The expectation of receiving this letter is most likely, oh, thank God, literally, Thank God, like we are, like he's gonna come for us. We are in exile, he's gonna come for us. He's gonna come help us. Here's the letter, it's gonna have all the details. And they open it up with excitement. And here's what it says. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, have kids, have grandkids. It's gonna be a while. Like that is the opposite of what they would hope for. 70 years, God says, it's gonna be, that's a lifetime. That's, that is a long time. And for people who are sitting in injustice, in frustration, in disappointment, in regret, to be told by God, I'll see you in 70 years, get cozy, that's not what I would want to hear. And I'm sure it's not what they wanted to hear. And in the same way that I can kind of picture this anticipation over opening this letter from home, I can see the sinking feeling when they read what that letter says. The anger, the disappointment, the frustration, the injustice, the regret, the doubt, and these are all things that I have seen and felt in my community, in our community, in our church, on social media, over the last week, over the last few weeks, over the last few years. We all feel this. We can't... um, we have to be careful not to like parallel ourselves too much with Israel in this. They were going through a very specific situation with God where they were, they were being punished very specifically for disobedience. So we're not trying to like draw total parallels, but we certainly share an ache that we sit somewhere we do not belong. And it's not fun and it is not good. We all share this ache that this is not the way things are supposed to be yet. We are not who we are supposed to be yet. The world is not the way it's supposed to be yet. And this ache, it, it like sits with us and like rouse up when we see something like what happened on Tuesday, when we see something like happened last week, or, you know, frankly, all of us come into the room with things that have nothing to do with our society, that have to do with our, just our own worlds and lives that we desperately need to see God work renewal in. We've been spending the last few weeks in this series embodying renewal, and maybe you feel like, yeah, I want that, but like every time you talk about it, I still feel like my life is stuck here in this thing. This thing hasn't moved. This relationship is still what this relationship is, or this job hasn't changed, or fill in the blank. 
we all feel ache over areas of our lives that feel like they are not getting access to this promise of renewal that we're all waiting for. And it is frustrating. And the reality is, the good news is, that that hope reminds us that we are not the end of this. Like our world, I know it feels like your world is this big, like the size of your seat. It's not. The world's not about you. The world's not about me. Sometimes it should be, it feels like, but it's not. (laughs) The world is far greater and we are part of God's eternal missional story to make all things new, to restore all things to himself. And we are desperately waiting for that. And the reason we can wait for that is because we believe that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died a horrible death, he rose from the dead and he reconciled us to God by doing that, covering our sin, making it possible for us to be with him. And then he ascended and he promised he was coming back. And that when he came back, not just our reconciliation to God, but our rec- all of our reconciliation, the whole earth would be made new. And so we look to that. We call that our eschatological hope. If you were here on Easter, that's what Dave talked about, that we have set our gaze to a coming age where the kingdom of God will finally be here. And we live in the now, the already. We live in this moment where we get to pray on earth as it is in heaven. We want glimpses. We want as much of God's kingdom right now as humanly possible because we believe that it's good and that's what God is doing. So the question then becomes, how? How do we live in the now and the not yet? How do we hold on hope in this broken, depressing, disappointing world with our gaze set to the not yet? believing that we get to like experience it here. There's somehow we get to, how do we pull it here? How do we get that here? That's the question. So um, I'm gonna, I have like a, a way that maybe we can think about moving forward. And before I do that, I wanna kind of just like make a few little, or one little specification. Renewal, which is a big word we've been using in a lot. Renewal and restoration are, are the, they're synonymish, they're synonyms. They're synonyms. We got there. Um, They're synonyms, but they're not exactly the same. Renewal, um, when we talk about renewal, if I were to ask you things you renew, you'd probably say things like a credit card, a driver's license, an app subscription, right? Like generally renewal is here's my expired thing or here's the thing that no longer works, give me a new thing. It's usually pretty quick. Not the driver's license though. That'll take forever and like 12 trips to the DMV. But other than that, renewal is generally a pretty like Quick thing, right? Not restoration. Restoration is a slow, deliberate, monotonous, detailed process. And so when we talk about renewal, sometimes we're talking about renewal, breakthrough, instant, just like here, out with the old, in with the new. But sometimes, most times, what we're actually talking about is restoration, the slow labored, intentional work of building renewal into our lives. And so I wanna look at a way 
that we can kind of maybe begin to participate with God in this. So just to kind of make it simple, I have a little like diagram for you. It's all going to be up there. Don't read ahead. Stay like, you know, just stay one at a time because just pretend you only see one thing. Um, So how do we work with God in restoration in the now? How do we, it's basically like what we're trying to wrap our minds around is how do we partner with restoration now as if it were the not yet? How do we do both, right? Starts with presence. And I'm going to use um, the repair shop is to kind of paint this picture for us. So showing up, presence. If you never get in your car and drive to the beautiful green field of England and then get out of your car and walk into the barn, you will never have your item restored. You have to show up. And so we have to show up. For some of us, like you're in the room today, congratulations, you showed up. That's presence, step one, you did it. it for some of us, it's gonna be showing up in community, being emotionally spiritually, mentally, all of the things present with other people who can walk this process with us. For some of us, it's being honest with ourselves about what we're feeling, about what we're seeing. For some of us, it's about being honest with God, what we're feeling, what we're seeing, what we're carrying. If we don't show up, I, like that's just step one, presence. Our second, uh, the next step, surrender. Um, surrender is gonna kind of like represent maybe a few different things. But whatever it is that we want to see restoration in, our, our country, our professional life, our personal life, relationships, fill in the blank. Whatever you, that thing that when I talk about this thing needing to be restored, whatever pangs up in you, for us to let God have access to it, it takes us letting go of it. And that might look different depending on what it is. For some of us, it is lament. It is grieving the reality that this thing is not what I wanted it to be, not what I thought it would be, and I just need to let you, master restorer, have it. For some of us, it's gonna be just like like the acknowledging that we can't do better and we need someone who can. I can't do anything else with this and I am submitting the control I have of what it should look like and letting you have it. For some of us, surrender is repentance, Maybe that thing is an area of disobedience or of brokenness in our own lives that we need to confess and repent from and then turn away from. Whatever it is, it will require us to put the item on the counter and leave it there. If you walk into the repair shop with your 100-year-old teddy bear and walk out of the repair shop with your 100-year-old teddy bear, it's not getting restored. It has to be left. And there's an interesting thing I noticed when I was watching it this week with this teaching in mind. Almost every single time someone puts it on the counter, the restorer almost every single time says something to the effect of, and you're okay leaving this with me for a few weeks? And you trust me to take care of this while you're away? And you're gonna be all right leaving here without it? Like, it's, it's like the restorer knows that there is this deep emotional attachment to this thing we've put down. Because if there wasn't, we wouldn't want it to be restored so bad. Of course we're emotionally attached to it. God knows that. He feels that with us. And it is his desire to bring restoration to it. That is what he, like that is his job. That's what he is about. And so for us, surrender is this acknowledgement of you take it. You can do better with it than I can. And leaving it on the counter. Now, this is where we part ways with the repair shop because normally that person would leave and they'd come back at the end of the episode. But with us and God's restoration in our lives, we are invited behind the counter. 
And we work alongside the master restorer as his apprentice, watching him and partnering with him in his restoring of that thing. We come alongside him and watch him pull out every single stitch. And we listen to why he does that, how he does that, why it matters. We like watch the way he pulls the different furs and make sure they all line up the same way. Like we learn his heart and his work. Um, we're like in a city where like, well, in general, internships are the thing, right? We all generally familiar with professional internships. Yes, no. Okay, I have an intern right now, Mike Leung, best intern ever. You should give, yeah. I asked him if I'd give him a shout out. He said yes. So, um, Thanks, Mike. Best intern, like gets everything done when asked, before checked in on, like does all the real work and picks up the donuts. Like best intern ever. (laughs) Unlike an internship, an apprenticeship, you know, with Mike, who's a great intern, I give him the stuff, he goes and does it. An apprentice is far more about being with the master than doing the work of the master. You learn what the master does by watching their every move. This is what it's like for us with Jesus and his restoration of our lives. We are with him in it. He is doing the work and we get to just stand in like the glory of his presence watching him do this slow, long, committed work. And in the long, slow, committed work of restoration, there will come moments of being like, what is even happening? Thank you. (laughs) So... (laughs) Someone is going to be wondering why I brought a teddy bear in. How is this clump of fur? Like, how is this going to be restoration? This is a mess. And there will be moments where we feel like, is this even happening? Is God even doing anything? Like there will be days like Tuesday where we look around and be like, what in the world? And God's promise is, I know I'm God. I'm working on it. It doesn't make it better, it doesn't make it good, it doesn't justify it, it's just the reality of living in a broken world with a hope of what's to come. That's our apprenticeship. And another, like the apprenticeship piece, it's not just so we can experience restoration for our own teddy bear. As followers of Jesus, we are called to become restorers. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus had the job of reconciliation and gave us the job of reconciliation. It is our calling too. And so when we talk about restoration, we're not just talking about being restored. That's good. That's nice. We need that. But we are restored so we can restore. So that we can come alongside God and his promise to make all things new. And we can embody renewal in a world that desperately needs it. That brings us to our last one, renewal. This is what it means to see heaven as to see heaven on earth. When we say on earth as it is in heaven, this is what we're talking about. These things. I when we read that passage from Jeremiah, it's I it's hard to hold. We don't want to like make light of this promise of hope, but we need to acknowledge the reality that God promises this big promise of hope in the middle of really bad stuff because that promise is so much better when we understand that things don't need to be good for it to be true. When stuff is bad, God says, I'm not done. I have a promise that you have a future and it is good. I know you can't see it right now, but I am about that. That is the renewal I 
am bringing and I am committed to it. Even when you can't see it, even when it feels hopeless, even when there is absolutely no way out, that is what I'm about. I'm doing that. And so we partner with God in his renewal. We pray for the place where we are. Did you notice that? He said, pray for that place for if it prospers, you will prosper. For Israel, that was their enemies. They were captured and God said, pray for them. We pray for the place that we are. We mourn and speak over injustice. We partner with that place for its good. We advocate for those who have no voice. We stand up for what is right. We serve those who the world has forgotten. We give generously to those who don't have. All of those things work in line with who Jesus is and his promise that he is making all things new. We receive that work. When you go to the repair shop and you drop off your teddy bear and you leave and you come back, you receive the teddy bear. We receive his renewal and we get the privilege of having to know, like of knowing and partnering with him in it. It is a privilege. It is an honor. It is hard. It is messy. And God is a master restorer and he can handle the mess. So when we talk about renewal, we're talking about restoration. God's work of restoration is his work of renewal. It is for us, for our good. It is in us, for our growth. And then it is through us, for the world. And so when we sit in a week like this week, we wrestle with how difficult it is and how painful it is and the opportunity we have to see God keep moving, to see God continue to show up, to cling to his promise for goodness because that is who he is. This is how we can hold on to verse 11. I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and to grow you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Because even when things are the worst that they have been, that is his promise. And if that feels overwhelming to you, which it might, it feels overwhelming to me, we can cling to these words of Jesus. And these were Jesus' words to his disciples when things were dark, when things were difficult. Jesus said to them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, there will be trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is a battle Jesus already won. We have to wait till the coming age to see the victory of it, but we cling to that, knowing and believing that he is not done yet, that he is good, and we can hold both things. We can sit with the mess of it, he can sit with the mess of it, because that is the work he has promised to be at work doing. And so this morning, wherever you come in with, show up, be present to it, surrender. If you need to get on the carpets and literally lay it down, do it, lay it down. If you need to sit with your community and pray and confess, confess. And then pay attention to what it looks like to come alongside Jesus and learn his work, slow, steady, committed work of restoration. And then receive the renewal he promises you. Walk, like take it with joy and with hope because it is his gift to us. It is his promise to us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that um, we are not abandoned here. God, this world is a heavy, hard place, but you are a great father. You are a good father. And God, what grieves us and breaks our heart grieves you and breaks your heart. Like all, like far more even than we can imagine, God, these things 
These things hurt and they hurt you and you are not done yet. God, whatever, whatever we hold, whatever thing we need you to move in, I pray that in your mercy, you would move mightily this morning in those things. Would you bring breakthrough? Would you bring clarity? Would you bring freedom? Would you bring comfort? Would you bring hope? And God, the areas where we feel like we have been in process or we've been in restoration and we don't see how the picture is coming together, would you give us a glimpse this morning of what you're bringing together? Give us a glimpse of the goodness and the beauty of your kingdom, of your restoration, of the fullness of who you are. God, we need a hope that is defiant, that is, that is like almost ridiculous because that is how good you are. Yeah, God, we just thank you that, that renewal is your work. We cannot muster it. It is not our responsibility to muster it. It is your work. And God, we thank you for the gift and the privilege of getting to come alongside you and partner with you in it. Would you, would you activate that in us? Would you compel us into that? We wanna be agents of your freedom, your peace, your justice, your mercy, your kindness, and your love. And we wanna do that from an abundance of it in our own life, in our own renewal. So God, would you do that in us today? We cling to your promise that you do have a hope for us. You do have a future for us. It is for our good. It is not for harm. And when things are darkest, God, we lean into that. In Jesus' name, amen.